from the Appalachian region of the Blue Ridge Mountains of Virginia, NPR. This is the time when we need to write and make art for the sake of healing our souls and enriching our communities. Welcome to Artemis Speaks. So just slow down in Hello, this is Jerry Rogers. Today I'm speaking with Louisa Gloria. She was recently appointed as the 20th Poet Laureate of Virginia by Governor Northam. Originally from Baglio City in the Philippines, Louisa is the author of 14 books of poetry and four chapbooks. She has four daughters and now makes her home in Virginia. She is professor of creative writing and English, and from 2009 to 2015 was director of the MFA creative writing program at Old Dominion University. In the spring term of 2018, she was the inaugural Glasgow Visiting Writer-in-Residence at Washington and Lee University. Her work has appeared and has been accepted in numerous anthologies and journals and has won various national and international literary awards, which includes the 2019 Crab Orchard Open for her book, Maps for Migrants and Ghosts. So welcome, Louisa. It's so good to have you here today. Thanks so much, Jerry. Uh, it's such a pleasure to join you here for the podcast. And congratulations on being uh, nominated as the Poet Laureate of Virginia. That's a very high honor. It is. Thank you so much. I'm still kind of like, you know, uh, <laughs> trying to get over the excitement and um, trying to plan forward to make sure that I do justice to this very distinguished honor. Yes, it's a two-year uh, term, isn't it? It is, it uh, is. Well, you must have big plans. We'll get to that. But you're originally right. from uh, the Philippines. You have an unusual background. Can you tell us a little bit about that and how you landed in Virginia? Sure. Uh, as you mentioned already, I'm originally from Baguio City, which is in the northern Cordillera region of the Philippines. And um, for centuries, this was home to several indigenous groups in what they call Southern Benguet. And Baguio was turned into a hill station for the American colonial government in the early 1900s. Chicago architect Daniel Burnham was actually commissioned to draw up the blueprint for the colonial city. In 1992, I left Baguio and the Philippines for my doctoral program at the University of Illinois in Chicago as a Fulbright Fellow. And after completion of my doctorate in 1996, I returned briefly to the Philippines and taught for around two years in the literature department of De La Salle University in Manila until I was hired by ODU in the fall of 98. So most of my family and I have lived in Norfolk since that time. So it's 22 plus, plus years now. Um, when I first got here as a new faculty member, to be honest, 
I wasn't sure how long we would stay. I'd been hired as part of Old Dominion University's commitment to develop Filipino-American studies initiatives, since this part of southern, the southeastern seaboard has one of the largest populations of Filipino-Americans. Um, it wasn't until a few years later that my appointment was converted from uh, what had then been a visiting appointment to a full-time position. And since then, I have uh, taught as one of the core faculty in the MFA creative writing program in the English department. Um, for a while though, I, I was kind of afraid to even take out books from out of moving boxes and put them on shelves. Uh, we had moved from one apartment to another and only actually fairly recently became first time homeowners. And as the saying goes, you blink and now 22 years have passed. Well, wonderful. We're glad you're here. What are some of the plans you have as Poet Laureate? What are you thinking you might do the next couple of years? Mm, okay, yeah. Um, as I said, during my virtual swearing-in ceremony in late July, the Virginia Poet Laureateship is such an honor. And through the arts, I hope we can continue with this kind of work of eradicating social, educational, and other inequities. And um, I, I take uh, confidence in the idea that there are positions like poet laureateships that send the message that poetry is valued as a form of social and civic engagement. It sends the message that we are interested in a future which not only makes space for poetry, but rather sees it as vital for our human continuity because poetry and the arts like community have human empathy as their cornerstone um, so first we need to imagine in order to create the conditions for experiencing possibility and therefore change in our lives. So I would like to do some projects that might help uh, for starters to raise a little bit more awareness of the rich diversity of poets in Virginia. I was a little bit appalled, though not surprised, I suppose, to see that the uh, Wikipedia page listing for Virginia poets has only 62 entries and that it has not been updated in a very long while. Also, I think that that list is glaringly uh, not representative of diversity, that there are not very many poets of color on that list. Toward this end, I did, um, I started a virtual reading conversation program featuring Virginia poets. And my first program featured Latorial Faison, Kendra McDonald, Irene Machu, and Kiki Petrosino, all wonderful poets, on October 24. And I'm, I'm excited to continue it as a series, but I probably won't be able to produce another season until December. And the whole idea is to highlight a wide range of Virginia poets in all kinds of different professions or working under different designations. Maybe for instance, one of these programs could feature different county poet laureates in Virginia or youth poet laureates. I would like to feature teachers of poetry so we can talk or, or maybe even give workshops perhaps um, about how to excite and sustain poetry in the schools across all the different levels. Um, also, like you, I, I'm a member of the Poetry Society of Virginia, 
And in Norfolk for more than 12 years now, I've taught workshops in a nonprofit community writing center also. This is the Muse Writer Center where I am also now a board member. Uh, and just in the last couple of days, I, I've been uh, excited to get connected to individuals and groups like David Beringer, uh, who is Senior Director at Virginia Humanities, um, one of the specialists in the Office of Humanities at the Virginia Department of Education was someone he introduced me to, uh, and Jane Kulo at the Virginia Center for the Book. So I'm looking forward to more conversations with uh, these individuals and, and maybe more collaborations with them. I don't have the specifics yet, um, but, but I do know that it will take more than just one person, poet laureate or not, to get projects promoting poetry on a statewide level off the ground. So I'm, I'm very hopeful and very excited. Those are big plans. Mm -hmm. I like hearing them and I hope you consider Southwest Virginia uh, spreading your talent and, and fame down here. We have a very rich group of poets and writers and artists and we're very active down here. Of course, we publish Artemis Journal. I uh, wonder, with your background, what motivates you to write? You you come from the Philippines, and you're a woman. It, does that transfer over into your own poetry? Yes, of course it does. Um, and you said, what motivates me to write? I believe that is your question. Uh, I guess you could say mostly it's the need to find a uh, a deeper language of experience. I mean, the language that poetry makes available to us, including figurative language and expression, is not merely interested in the, shall we say, the transactional function of language or of words. The language of poems, like music, um, enables us maybe to approach experiences that go through us with such immediacy and yet are also very difficult to express. Those that, as we often say, are unspeakable or inexpressible or that we feel like we don't have the words for. Um, so those are the places where we experience not just our very human fears, rage, doubt, pain, but also comfort, joy, love, solidarity, hope. So I've come to realize um, that poetry is really my preferred way of processing experience. I, I kind of laugh and uh, say sometimes that it feels like it's a constant state of a first draft in my head. Um, and I've tried to sustain this practice uh, through a daily writing practice. I have, uh, it'll be um, 10 years now in, in November, on November 20 to be exact, that I would have been writing at least a poem a day in a daily writing practice that I keep. Uh, and I, I do this for myself. Um, it comes out of the need to find time in the day to address uh, what we would most like to do with our, our work. Uh, and we're always bewailing the fact that we don't have enough time. So at some point, 10 years ago, I just decided I will make time. And it may not necessarily be the method that works for everybody, but I have found that I've truly come to look forward to that time in the day where I can uh, just sit down and try to work out um, what 
would become a poem. And, and it's not perfection that I'm after. It's just that, you know, this ability to commune with yourself and, and uh, the idea, the need for um, what some writers have called that dreaming time, which is necessary to creative production. So I look forward to that every day. Well, it goes to a deeper level, doesn't it? We can all get so busy yeah. with our days and and not stop. When you do take this time, do you have a time limit, uh, 30 minutes, an hour, or do you just wait until um, it comes? I kind of wait until it comes. I don't have a set time or a specific time of the day to do this. Uh, when I'm teaching in a regular academic year or semester, it tends to happen later in the day or uh, conversely, really early in the morning, although I'm not such a morning person because I stay up very late at night. Um, and I have a little bit more, uh, I guess, time to stretch that out uh, in the summer, for instance, we, when we don't have as many um, responsibilities or the teaching load is, is smaller. Uh, but I'll try to aim for at least a half an hour to see uh, what, what can come out of that encounter. And I don't really set any other expectations other than that I'm there to write. So I don't come to my desk and say, today I'm gonna write about X subject because that never really is the way it happens, does it? So I'm just there, I'm waiting, I'm open, I'm receptive, I try to, uh, it happens that of course I wind up my mind, uh, my being winds up responding to all the different things I may be immersed in or experiencing at the moment. And uh, I, I kind of don't want to think about it. Some people have this phrase that they use. They say, oh, you write occasional poetry, but that makes it sound like such a, I don't know, like a, a, like a marginal thing. But for me, it, I, I see it as a, a, in a different sense than just the occasion to maybe uh, come to poetry, I think anything is capable of being um, funneled through poetry, being channeled through poetry, maybe to make some things clearer, at least to the to person who is writing. So you wait for the muse to come in and you work? Uh, I, I guess half and half. I don't really wait. I just write. You just start writing. <laughs> yes. Wonderful. Do you... You have a notebook, you keep all the poems. Do some of them end up in books and being published? Um, yeah, I still sometimes write on little scraps or I still keep a few notebooks. But these days, because we're doing so much um, on the computer, it kind, kind of tends to spill over there too. So uh, I start a lot of drafts also now on my computer or whatever. Uh, literary, I mean, not literary, but technical device that happens to be on hand. I have, I have drafted poems using the notes function on my phone, for instance. And sometimes that was because I was, you know, in the car or waiting for a daughter to come out of school or uh, at the doctor's clinic waiting uh, to be seen. And I had a little extra time and the idea of her poem pops into my head and I reach for whatever is at hand. Well, this is good advice for writers. You know, I was going to ask you advice that you would give to young writers, first-time writers. And I think mm -hmm. the, the actual exercise of just taking the time and mm -hmm. writing. Do you have any other advice? Yeah. Um, 
I always say to students, read as much poetry as you can, even poetry that might seem different when, from what you consider or think is your style, even the things that you have um, maybe an initial reaction to of uh, disappointment or uh, maybe you don't like something, but I think those are registers that also tell us something about ourselves as readers and writers. You, the fact that you react strongly to something tells you something about uh, what you are as a reader and a writer. And you, I, I find that it, it, it pays off to follow um, what those paths are as well. Even if in the end, you might decide, okay, that's not for me. At least I've tried to explore that avenue. Uh, I also tell students to pay attention to the particulars, to the small details, the things that are um, in the margins, not just in the center of the crosshairs or of the field. Because I think that there's a lot of interesting stuff that is happening uh, on the periphery. And uh, it tends to be overlooked when we're only thinking of one type of aesthetic of composition. Uh, so um, don't be afraid to look elsewhere. Uh, in other directions from what other people might be telling you is where you should turn your gaze. I would say follow your instincts, read but follow your instincts. Um, and also don't be afraid of thinking and feeling deeply because if you don't feel deeply, I mean, what is this all for, right? If you didn't feel like uh, the world was worth wasting tears or, or, or happiness or uh, your, your feelings on, then that's kind of sad. Wonderful. Well, you've submitted a poem for Artemis for next year. We're thrilled to have it. It was a Dear America poem, and it was mm -hmm. or is very political. Uh, you really address some things that are happening today in, in the world of politics, and we appreciate that. I also asked if you would um, read a poem today as we conclude our interview with you, and you were going to pick one out. Mm -hmm. So uh, do you have yeah. your poem with you? Um, sure. I was thinking about what to read today, and I was thinking about uh, how we live in this time uh, that's marked by so much upheaval, um, natural calamities. It's just been raining buckets these past two days, and... I know uh, on the other side of the world, the Philippines has just experienced two um, uh, hurricanes or typhoons as they call them there in quick succession. And uh, they're so much stronger and more devastating than before. So we're all thinking of the effects of the climate crisis. Um, we're looking at the sense of increasing violence and political turmoil, not just in our midst, but globally. So uh, I was thinking about that in trying to make a selection of a poem to read uh, at this segment. And I, I was thinking too about how difficult it is to live with so much uncertainty, but also um, we turn to poetry to uh, try and think about the things we could do to protect ourselves from, let's say, um, from feeling completely dispirited. So I think I'd like to read a poem called Magnificat. And it's sort of a praise poem as the title implies. Magnificat. 
Let us praise, they said, and so we should. Let us praise the wood that was saved from the house and the stones we used for the new kitchen floor. Let us praise the walls which leaked with the fury of hurricanes, yet kept us dry where we huddled in the middle of the room. Let us praise the wildness of the garden, which gave us mint to fragrance our hands and branches from which to hang wet clothes. Let us praise the nights that were strung with curfews and the hiding places we found in them for fugitives and friends. Let us praise the ones who left, even of their own volition, and the hearts that must have suffered from the myriad difficulties of choice. Let us praise how we witnessed a rash of flowers open one by one along the broken fence, even as the sea or heaving earth took those we loved. And let us praise the clapper and the hollow gong, both pain and joy have made of our insides, how forever we will swing this way in the wind. And let us praise you for writing these words and inspiring so many of us. Thank you so much, Louisa. Thank you. I've been speaking with Louisa Gloria, Virginia Poet Laureate of Virginia. This recording was made at Final Track Studios via Zoom, co-produced with Skip Brown. Thank you for joining me today. I'm Jerry Rogers, and this is Artemis Speaks. You've been listening to Artemis Speaks. Artemis is a charitable organization now 43 years old and has evolved to be all-inclusive, a journal with essays, poetry, and art. 10% of the journal's sales are donated to a women's shelter in southwest Virginia. If you're interested in learning more, artemisjournal.org. You can mail us directly at P.O. Box 505. Floyd, Virginia, 24091. The closing music and the opening music you're listening to is Jordan Harmon. And the song is Just Slow Down, a very appropriate comment for the times that we're in. If you want to read, you have to slow down. Artemis Speaks, the podcast, is recorded twice monthly at Final Track Studios in Virginia. All rights reserved and is co-produced by Jerry Rogers and And you know you can't lose touch of those things that you so much He loves so much Can anybody tell me When it became so cool We got everybody walking around Trying to do the same thing
that everybody else they do. And you know, oh yes, you know, you gotta be yourself. Yourself is all you got, and all you got is what you need. Look in the mirror, see it clearer. The answer's staring at you. And so just slow down in life. Because you can't buy back your time. And you know you can't lose time. Just slow down.